0: In terms of these uh, qualities of our great God, the character of God as noted in Scripture. I'd like to note the uh, second one up there on the PowerPoint, where it says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. But isn't that an interesting phrase? The Lord encamps around them? Actually, it reads that it tabernacles around them. So it's the same concept that the Old Testament tabernacle had, remember? And so he spreads his tabernacle around you, it says, according to this passage, and therefore will deliver you. Marvelous passage of Scripture, promise of God. And then uh, let's go to the Daniel one. That's the uh, third from the bottom. This is actually the experience that the three young Hebrews Head facing Nebuchadnezzar and you may remember in the story (coughs) that though Daniel was uh, promoted to uh, prime minister and the three friends Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were also promoted, the enemies of God's people tried to get rid of them and so they uh, tricked Nebuchadnezzar into a thing where he had a huge image built of himself, for himself, and then required that everyone that heard the sound of the music would fall down and worship that image because he was still considered by himself king of kings and lord of lords. Though he's recognizing the quality of Daniel, not realizing that he had been tricked by the enemies of God to do this. So uh, they had... Um, brought the three young Hebrews before Nebuchadnezzar, and it says in the scripture he was absolutely enraged in wrath and fear. nobody defied him. he was the most absolute monarch this world has ever known. Every whim, every thought of his was law answered to no one, and nobody ever crossed him that way because they also because they were going to get rid of the three Hebrews said that there would be a fiery furnace that would be extremely hot, like a pit in the ground, and anyone who didn't uh, obey uh, the worship would be thrown into that. So the Hebrews now were brought before Nebuchadnezzar. And it's interesting how they respond, because they were facing sure and certain death. And what they said in verse 16, the previous verse was, we don't even need to talk to you about this. (laughs) not that bold? They're facing the greatest authority in the world at that time, and they said, "We don't even need to answer you, Whereas the God whom we serve doesn't want us to die, here's what they said: He is able to deliver us even from your hand." And then they added a thought, because a little note, because they were never, no one's ever sure just how God's going to do. Uh, they knew that that He would rescue them, but then. In the next verse, they said, but even if God wants us to die and we die, we're still not going to worship your crummy image. Now, this is boldness on their part, right? And all, if you remember the story, all Nebuchadnezzar did, could do, it says he ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than it was. That's not possible. He ordered it, but you can you can only eat so much heat, and that's all how you can get, right? In a, in a fire. So anyway, you remember that they were thrown into the fire, and then survived that because the Lord walked with them there. Deliverance in such a wonderful thing. And then let's note uh, the Second Corinthians, where uh, Paul, speaking from his own experience, says he has delivered us from such a deadly peril and will deliver us again. So let's go to the next one now. Got to, uh, The concept of God is kind. The short one. There, again, I said earlier that these are not exhaustive scriptures. There are many others. Uh, but you have to have something by that would fit into a time span. So, Jeremiah 31 uh, 3, I've drawn to you in unfailing kindness. And one of the greatest passages in scripture regarding the character of God is the one that's listed there from Psalm 145 verse 17 which says, The Lord is just in all his ways and kind in all his doings. And we'll go to the next one, which is God is light. Uh, remember that it was one of the first things that's introduced in Genesis in the creation account. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And then uh, various scriptures. Uh, Psalm 104, verse 2, let's turn to that one because of some of the terminology that's used there. Psalm 104, verse 2. And in verse 1 it says, Bless the Lord of my soul, my Lord my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with splendor and majesty. Notice the word clothing. Covering thyself or clothing thyself with light as with a cloak. Okay, that's the picture of God. Now, going back to the book of Genesis, there is an interesting account Regarding our first parents, that sometimes seems very difficult to to understand. The last verse of chapter two, which uh, is the account of the creation of woman, it says the man and his woman, man and his wife, were both naked and not ashamed. And you say, well, what's that there for? I mean, the Bible doesn't put a bunch of words in just for filler. There has to be a reason everything he says. So they were naked. They were only two people in the world, so I guess it's not a problem. <laughs> but then in the next chapter, uh, it says that when they sinned in rebellion and, and disobeyed, it said that they saw that they were naked. Now this is crazy, right? I mean, they're not so dull that they, oh, we didn't realize we didn't have clothes on. You know, <laughs> These are highly intelligent creatures. And then later on, when God calls them, the man said, I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said to him, who told you you were naked? And that whole thing is there. And later on it says they made, God made the, the uh, covering of uh, leaves for them. So anyway, this might be an answer. And that is that these people made in the image of God had the same covering that God does. Light as a garment. They were covered with light. They were surrounded by light as a garment, as God was. Because remember, they were sinless at that time. And when they sinned, they lost their garment. And that's why they felt awkward and guilty. And that's why the conversation went as it did, I believe. Which points out that in there they lose something when people walk in disobedience to God. And the way it made sense to me that was difficult earlier. Okay, and then a the wonderful passage in... Uh, uh, Psalm one nineteen one o five, Thy word is a light to my path, a light, lamp to my path, uh, <laughs> a lamp to my path and a light to my... I'm still misquoting. it. You see it up there. Okay, now let's go to the next uh, scripture here. In him was light. This is from uh, John 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. Wonderful passage. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcoming. Verse 9, the true light and light from every man was coming into the world. And John 8, uh, 12, where Jesus said at the occasion after the um, release of the woman caught in adultery, if you remember that story in John 8, and then he said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And the wonderful passage in 1 John one seven, If we walk in the... This is a... This is a... Uh, shall we say a uh, formula. If we walk in the light as he is in the light. First step. We have fellowship with one another. Second step. Third step. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us or keeps on cleansing us from all sin. So three things are noted there. One is... We need to walk in the light. And walking in the light is walking in what God has said in his word and obeying what he said and letting him be Lord of our life. That's number one. Out of that will come this, and that is fellowship with one another. Now, oftentimes this word fellowship is used a lot in churches. And they build a room and they call it the fellowship hall. Because what they mean is this is where people socialize when you have cookies at break time or something like that. Right, And when they're kids, they might uh, have a roller skating party or something. They call it fellowship. And uh, God meant something bigger than that. And that was that there would be an intimacy of believers. Remember back in the early church, there was something that they did consistently when they came together. Two things, actually. They had a, a meal together. And they called that the Agape Feast, the Love Feast. And apparently it was the common practice when they met together. Because remember that there was a there was a tradition uh, that was pretty much among all ethnic groups. And that is, you didn't eat with somebody that wasn't part of your group. Remember, that was oftentimes throughout the Bible. Certainly it was true among the Jewish people. So therefore... Jewish Christians, they now are representing their intimacy with one another when they eat together and share the common meal called the, the agape feast. The second thing was they probably practiced the foot washing too uh, when they came together at least at certain times. Okay, That was their fellowship. Now, noting that pattern, by the way, we would note that when you walk in the light, you will be drawn to people who are also walking in the light. And they will be drawn to you. You don't have to seek them. They will find you and you will find them. Because you'll be drawn together. Like-minded people, right? All across denominational lines, by the way. That'll make one bit of difference. And in this non-denominational, across denominational lines, people will find a common cause, a common relationship, a common bind. That's fellowship. That will be there. And out of that common bind together, as people meet together in smaller, larger groups, they will understand that the concept of the blood of Jesus Christ is continually cleansing us from all sin. Therefore, we have a special group of people. See, in the early church, when persecution came, they met together because they had to. I mean, they they had to get together. They needed this, you see. And Roman historians have noted in their writings that sometimes this new sect, they called it, got together way before dawn on days and, and meet together, share together. Because they had to have that fellowship with one another. They need the bonding that would allow them to continue. And we, we treat that lightly because, you know, it's, it's not so important to us. But there may come a day, you see, when it will be more important to us. In mean, the approaching days, like that. Okay. Okay. So let's go on to the next one. That's God is our comfort, and and you know that. Uh, many illustrations that the Lord uses in Scripture is like the first one there from Isaiah sixty six thirteen, as a mother comforts her child. Any illustration of that, moms? As a mom comforts her child, so the Lord comforts us, and the. And then remember that that passage from 23, 4 of Psalm, familiar uh, Psalm, uh, thy rod and thy staff they comfort me. You ever thought about that? You know, we, we quote it and hear it. And, what's this rod and staff bit? Remember that the, the illustration, Lord is my shepherd. So it's a shepherd illustration. And the shepherd would carry the rod and the staff. The staff basically was one, uh, you've seen the crooked end, it's a stick with the crooked end. Probably not anything special. They probably didn't buy in a store, They would found it out you know, and, and carved it so it had a little crook on the end. And they would catch a sheep by the by the hind foot, you know, catch him back, so he's kinda of straying, so just get him that way, you know. It was a comfort because it brought him back to the fold. But the rod was a disciplinary too. Sometimes the the sheep needed to have a light tap to realize that he's been out of line. Not not a striking that it would cause damage to the sheep because that would be uh, counterproductive but just a light tap that would let them know that they're out of line God does the same to us that is called godly discipline and he's a better disciplinarian than we are because he does it in balance but he does not hesitate to do it and the writer of Hebrews talks about that the Lord chastens us and he uses illustration. as his father's often chasing their children, so the Lord chastens us. Because he has a way of doing things to get our attention when we're out of line. And especially if we don't realize it, or even that we realize it, and do it anyway. And then there's the wonderful passage in the Beatitudes, Blessed are those who mourn. Who? And you'd say, well, what's the value of mourning? The concept is, uh, blessed are those who weep with God about the sins that break God's heart. That's the mourning concept. Blessed are those who weep with God about the things that break God's heart for they will be comforted because you're identifying with the Lord here. And then this wonderful passage in John 14 where Jesus introduced to the disciples this, I'm going to leave you soon but I'm not going to leave you uh, orphans. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to send you one who is the comforter well, let's look at the passage in John fourteen sixteen, and send you one who is the comforter, yeah, verse sixteen, I will ask the Father, notice always oh, said communication to the father, he will give you another and it's sometimes translated comforter, sometimes a helper. The Greek word is parakletos. It's sort of a compound word. And it means the one who is called alongside to help. I'm going to give you someone that is going to be with you forever, because I can only be with you that short time. And he will be the great comforter that will do all this work in your hearts and minds. A similar concept now is God is compassionate. God is compassionate and uh Psalm 103:13 notice at the top there as a father shows compassion to his children how much more so the lord shows compassion to those who fear him and then uh lamentations 3 where it says though he brings grief or if he brings grief he will show compassion he will always have both And then the passage where Jesus saw the multitudes and it broke his heart. And he looked at them and he saw they were like sheep without a shepherd and had compassion on them. And then we have the scripture where as he came near Jerusalem one day, he he, he just bowed and wept. And he said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that kills the prophets and murders those who are sent to you, how often I would have gathered you as as a hen gathers her chickens but you would not. You didn't know the time of your visitation. Next is, there's a bunch of these putting in tonight. God is our healer. Uh, Psalm 103 says, God forgives all your sins, sins and heals all your diseases. And you might say, how can God say that? How can that say that about God when it isn't necessarily true? Oh yes, it's always true because it all depends on when the healing comes. You follow what I'm saying? See, one day if you're a believer, you're going to really get healed. It's going to be complete healing, right? And whether God chooses to do it earlier or later, that's up to him. But the healing will come. That's a sure fact and truth. He will heal all your diseases, for one day you will have a completely healed body. That's for sure. Okay, and then Psalm 147, he heals the brokenhearted and binds their wombs. A wonderful thing. Now in Matthew 12:15, is a passage that when Jesus was here in the natural, he healed everybody that was brought to him. There's no exception to that. And then we have the passage in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 where the listing of the spiritual gifts is given and healing is one of the gifts that's mentioned there. There's another thing that we only put one one place where it said, You are my hiding place. Place you can go for protection. You are my hiding place. And then the next one, God is patient. The God is patient Uh, Psalm or Second Peter three nine says, He is patient with you. Not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And that's uh, the same context where it says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the uh, world will, uh, I'm not quoting that totally here, I'm going to look at it. 2 Peter 3, 9. One day as the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack about his promises, some count slackness, but is patient toward you, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance, for the day of the Lord will come in which the heavens will pass away, and so on. But notice that the reason he is patient is for this purpose, that everyone could come that could come. Aren't you glad he did? Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people feel, well, now that I'm saved and you can come back any day, Jesus. <laughs> well, the reason he's patient is he's still waiting, still waiting. But there will be a point in time when he will pull the shade and that will be it. Okay, and then the passage from James 5 has to do with the uh, concept of Job. So it's an example of patience and suffering. takes the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. And then it talks about Job. Uh, You can have heard of the endurance of Job and the patience of Job and the purpose of the Lord regarding Job, which tells us a lot about what God's purpose was in allowing him to go through what he did. The next one we want to note here, God is our peace. God is our peace. The first passage is from that Christmas account. To us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders, of the increase of the government shall be no end, and his name shall be called, wonderful counsel, the mighty God, their blessing Father, the Prince of Peace. Isaiah twenty six, three, a wonderful, blessed, comforting passage. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusts in thee. Notice that the condition there. Thou will keep in the perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. Notice the conditions are that we need to trust in the Lord and our mind stayed on him and God will give us perfect peace. Let's turn to another uh, passage that's not here in the text in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Beginning with verse 4, Philippians 4 4, where it says, Rejoice in the Lord, and again I say, Rejoice. Let all men know your forbearance, the Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passes understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This also is a formula. Because you can look at verse 7 and say, I don't have the peace that passes understanding we're talking about here. But you see, if we follow the formula, it works. The first part of the formula says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. In other words, because we know who the character of God is, we can trust in that character, and therefore we can rejoice no matter what happens. Because uh, in everything, God is good all the time. And we can count on that, so therefore, even when you have difficulty or an accident or something like that, God is still good, and we can rejoice in what God's going to do with it, not because of the accident, because of what he's going to do with it and Then it says, "Let all know in your forbearance." The word forbearance can also be tra- uh, translated flexibility. We need to be flexible to what God wants to do. See, we have a tendency to to tell God what we want him to do. you <laughs> to have the flexibility according to what. God wants to do. And then it says uh, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and thanksgiving let your request be made known to God. Out of that comes the answer to the formula and the peace of God which passes understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And we have in Matthew 5.9 the portion of the Beatitude where it says blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of the children of God and then in John fourteen twenty seven, just before Jesus was taken from them, he said to them, "My peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you." And then he added, "Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid." And then the passage also for Romans five two, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. This is only one, gracious. The Lord is gracious, slow to anger. One of many, many. The picture is, is an illustration that is very good. You know, something that the Lord also sounds, mentions sometimes in Scripture. He, he, he talks about, don't you think that I can I'll always remember you? I will not forget you? And here's the illustration he uses. As a woman would remember her nursing child. So the Lord will remember you, and then He adds this little thought: They might forget. How unusual would that be, <laughs> right? How unusual would that be? Let's say you go to a store, and here's this lady has a little baby in a in a uh, some kind of they push, okay, stroller, okay, and the little baby, and the baby's cried while you were around. You heard it cry, so she took it and went in the restroom and rested and came and put it back in the and the stroller. And then afterwards, you saw her outside in the car, getting in the car, and said, where's your little baby? Oh, that's right. I do have a child, don't I? How's that for unusual? Couldn't happen, could it? But he said, that could happen. <laughs> but I would never forget you. Isn't that a wonderful thought? So his Lord is gracious, and slow to anger. And then we'll look at another one. God is our shield. Thou art our shield to me. Sometimes that one put to the music, the melody. And looking at Ephesians six, sixteen, it's part of the armor, the spiritual armor of the Christian, where it says, Take the shield of faith with which you're able to extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. And then the next one. There was about twenty of these tonight. That's why we went through a whole bunch of these. God is a provider. He will provide. And you think the word provider means that he provides your daily need. You know, give us this day our daily bread. But here's a passage that says God will give you a provision for something else. So let's turn to the passage in 1 Corinthians 10.13. 1 Corinthians 10.13. And it's a wonderful promise. So let's look at it, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, where it says, No temptation has overtaken you, or happened to you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful. Notice his faithfulness is mentioned here. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able or can bear, but with the temptation will also provide, there's the provider, a way of escape that you may be able to not escape it, but endure it. Look at the passage again. Anything you go through is what people go through. And so God is faithful in all of these circumstances and he knows your ability to hang in there. He knows your limitations. And he will not allow something to be more than you can bear or handle. He simply said he won't do that. And you might think, well, I know people that just got so overcome with their problem that they just lost it. It may have been that they allowed it to happen that way. You see. They allowed it to go beyond what God was able to save them out of. And I'm not saying that their trust in God is less, but I'm saying that it wasn't God's fault. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to take. But with the temptation, also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That's how it leads, right? Yeah. So that's a wonderful passage that you can trust that as we saw in the book of Job who went through all this stuff far worse than any of us will probably ever come close to. But God knew what he could handle, you see. Then we have... God is our rock. There's about more of these. He is our rock. His works are perfect. There's no rock like our God, like our rock. Our, our Psalm 40, verse 2. He lifted out me out of the pit and set my feet on a rock, right? He is my rock, my fortress, my salvation. I shall not be shaken. He is the foundation for all things. Next, God is our fortress. He is my refuge and fortress, my God in whom I trust. The Lord is my stronghold in the day of trouble. Remember that in the ancient world, in the biblical times, cities were always surrounded by walls. So therefore there was a certain safety and you were within the walls. And he uses that illustration to point out that far more than a human built city of walls with walls on it, I am able to be your fortress and protect you. And then the next one, God is our defender. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Let's look at another one Uh, that's not on there. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy chapter 32. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 10, there's a little passage right in the midst of the verse where it says he found him in a desert land that's Israel in the howling waste of the wilderness he encircled him, he cared for him but notice the next line he guarded him as the apple of his eye the apple of one's eye is like the pupil you know like the of all of the uh, appendages that we have uh, the most that is subject to harm and uh, danger is the eye. And that's why God gave us eyelids, that they would protect the eye. Because if something comes close to your eye like that, your immediate uh, response is that the eyelid shuts, protects it. And what he said in the passage is, I will protect you, That's how it says? I will guard you as the apple of my eye. Now, you better believe, with this kind of protection available to us, woe be to anybody who messes with you, right? As far as God is concerned. (laughs) Now, think with me a moment about that truth. Woe be it to anybody who messes with you, if you're the apple of God's eye, which he said you are. Because the next passage is also true. The Lord your God in your midst is, is a mighty warrior. That, too, has been put to uh, melody. If we can find Zephaniah, we'll look at that one verse in its context there. Zephaniah 3.17. been put to music. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will exult over you with joy. He will rest in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. Uh, Just think about that passage, by the way. Let's look at it again. Zephaniah 3.17 The Lord thy God in the midst of you is mighty, a victorious warrior. He will exult over you with joy. He will be rest in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. Now, we had a duet this evening that led us in some singing. Can you imagine what God's voice must be like when he sings? I mean, everybody that's been created have voices, and some are excellent singers. You imagine what God's voice might be with all the range from high soprano to low bass and just the way he must carry that. Now, here's a passage that says, when his people please him, that's the implication, he breaks out with a song. (laughs) So, tomorrow, when you meet this day that hasn't been created yet, Think about this in the morning. Today I can please God so much he'll break out in in singing about me. (laughs) Why not? Says he was. So why don't you take him at his word, right? You say, well, who am I? Well, you're his child, right? And because he's God, he knows you as an individual, not as one of the masses. Marvelous, wonderful passage. And this will be our last one. God is perfect. Second Samuel twenty two thirty one is David's final prayer. And what he said, this God, oh, his way is perfect. So reflected in so many of the, of the Psalms that he wrote. And then Hebrews ten fourteen, By one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being sanctified. Which means he has given you the quality of perfection. Because of what he's done for you. Because of the atoning uh, power of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has made you perfect before him. Isn't that neat? (laughs) Yeah. And then the final one, Hebrews 12. Now, Hebrews 12 is preceded, of course, by Hebrews 11. But Hebrews 11 is a roll call of Christian heroes. It's God's social calendar and social thing. All these people are listed. When it gets to the end, uh, the writer says, now time would tell, would fail me if I talked about more of these. He just didn't have opportunity or ability to, or freedom to do that. So then when it gets into chapter 12, it says, seeing that we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And then the rest of that passage says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated now at the right hand of God. But notice that last part that I quoted. <clears throat> he didn't enjoy the cross. No one would. But as he saw, as he was coming to that, the, the tremendous release that this would take place, he had great joy as he, as he faced the cross. Great joy he faced the cross, endured the cross, and is now seated at the right hand of God. Not just seated there, but we are told in Scripture, he is interceding for you from that position with the Father. Every day, individually, for you, each day. So tomorrow, which hasn't been created yet, remember that he is interceding for you tomorrow. And the Holy Spirit is too, so you've got a lot going for you, haven't you? <laughs> Well, I hope this was helpful to you, and and uh, hope that you were able to uh, reflect on some of the scriptures that were used, and uh, be able to apply them to your lives. Uh, we kind of the privilege to have opportunity to be back uh, this spring too. We're planning to be back at Calvary Lutheran's. Uh, probably uh, uh, April is probably the timing. We haven't got the date set yet, but hope to see many of you at that time as well. So thank you for your attendance and bless you as we go on our way. So Craig, would you come and close?